God bless you, my friend. Well, friends, we're going to carry on with our Rooted series, and we have the most amazing speaker today. Everyone say, God bless Pastor Darlene as she comes to change your lives. Thank you, Pastor Handsome. Isn't he handsome? So, so great to be with you. We are continuing with our series on spiritual foundations. And you will remember for the past two weeks, we've been talking about it. We talked about who is God to begin with. And then we went on to talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we talked about how houses built on sand don't last, but houses built on the rock of His Word and the foundation of truth will stand into eternity. Amen. So, Lord, I want to pray for each person here. Lord God, we just thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you that you are, you are doing something amazing in our midst, Lord. I want to pray that every person would leave here with a, a deeper understanding, a new way of looking at life, Lord God, that no one would leave here the same, Lord. Father God, we are conscious of the fact that our, our foundations need to be solid. And I'm praying, Lord God, where, where they not in our lives, that you would convict us, Lord, and, but you would convict us with gentleness and love, Lord God, and we would see a way forward and we, we would walk into the fullness of what you have for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen and amen. Can you give the Lord a hand? Immovable foundations in a changing world. I want to start with this picture. In 1173, there was a name, there was a man by the name of Bonanno Pisano. Can you all say that? Bonanno Pisano. He was Italian, hence he had an Italian name. And I, whenever I hear Italian, I always feel like I'm ready for a party. I mean, the, the, the sound of their language is just so invigorating. Bonanno Pisano, he began building a bell tower in the grounds of the Cathedral of Pisa. Pisa means marsh. This should have given him a clue. But clearly he ignored that clue. And he went into this construction area and he built foundations three meters deep. Sounds fairly adequate but he was building on marshland. In addition, the tower that he was building was going to be made of solid white marble. It was going to be magnificent and beautiful, and as you can see, it is magnificent and beautiful, but its final construction would weigh 14.5 metric tons on marshland. Three-meter foundations are simply not adequate. But nonetheless, he went about his task with great enthusiasm. They built the first floor. And at the end of the first floor, the building leaned slightly. Nonetheless, not to be deterred, they thought, oh, it's just a slight lean. That's not a problem. So they went and built the, built the second floor. And the building leaned a little bit more. And then they had a war, so they had to stop building this tower. And so for a hundred years or so, nothing happened on the tower. And it sank a little bit more into its foundations in the marshy soil. They came back to building it. One of his relatives began to build it, another Pisano. And they thought, well, look, this tower is leaning a little bit. So we are going to make one side just a little bit taller than the other to compensate for the lean. 
So they did. You can't see it in this picture, but the Leaning Tower of Pisa is, is shaped like a banana. It's slightly curved. Maybe that's in honor of banana. Banani. <laughs> Banano. <laughs> but they went on and the building one side taller than the other didn't help. The tower continued to lead. They merrily went on and finally full, finished this tower hundreds of years later. And it was leaning dangerously. In modern years, what they have done is they have pumped concrete into some of the foundations and they've kind of secured it. So now it has a permanent lean of just under four degrees. But it serves us a great lesson. That in Essa building has its foundations done right, something is going to go wrong. Something is going to go wrong. Also, what I began to think as I heard of this building weighing 14.5 tons. I think for many of us, we are unaware of the weight of our lives. We are unaware of the influence of our lives. We're unaware of the significance of our lives. You know, we have so many volunteers in this church. Thank you to all of you who volunteer. It's such a, such a joy to work with such a positive and um, enthusiastic church. But there are some of you who put your names down from time to time to be a volunteer in something, and then you don't pitch up. Is anyone feeling uh, a bit of conviction right now? Don't, don't, don't let your face show it. We, we're ignorant of who you are. But I was talking about it with the staff the other day. I think... I think sometimes people don't preach because they don't know how important they are. They're unaware of the significance of their life. They're unaware of how much their lives actually impact other people. They're unaware of how much importance God places on them and how much he actually entrusts them to them. And I think this is a, also one of the reasons why we often don't take the time to make sure the foundations of our life are secure. And we don't take, take time to make sure we're doing the basics right because we're unaware of how important our lives really are. We're unaware of the significance of our lives in the lives of others. In, within God's plan, we're unaware of the significance of what we carry as people, of the weight that God desires to put on our lives. And as a result, we are sometimes careless with our foundations. My hope is that as we talk about this series, that you would see not only the importance of foundations, but the importance of your life. The importance and the significance of who you are. And as a result, you will build those foundations strongly and well. In the places where they are weak or they are on marshy land, that you would pump in the concrete of God's word and you would shore them up and make sure that they're standing well. So that God can bring a magnificent white marble tower of your life that impacts and draws thousands to his kingdom. This past week, I was reading my Bible in the morning as I do every morning, a foundation that I live upon, a firm foundation. Every morning, read your Bible. And I was sitting on the particular chair. I always sit to read my Bible. The sun was shining in. The lavender was outside. It was a beautiful experience, just loving every moment. And I started reading in 1 John 4, 1 John 3, sorry, 
1 John chapter 3, and I'm, I'm reading, and I've read this chapter many times before, and I've read this particular verse many times before, but it hasn't struck me, and I certainly didn't remember it. But as I'm um, reading it, I suddenly had, it felt, like, it felt like God punched me in the stomach. I felt like someone came and ripped the carpet from underneath me. I felt like my world started spinning. I was like, oh my word, I have never seen it like that before. The scripture goes like this. We know that we have passed out of death into life, 1 John 3 verse 14, because we love the brothers. And then this is the last sentence that really got me. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever does not love abides in death. And I'm sitting on that chair, and as I'm reading that, I'm picturing all the people I have not loved. All the people I have been irritated with, all the jealousy I felt, all the unforgiveness I felt, all the anger and frustration I felt. Maybe you've never felt those things, but surely the, the various people were rushing through my life. And I got this picture of all the times I haven't loved them, I've been marinating in death. It's like I've been steeping myself in death and death has been oozing into my bones. And I was like, at that moment, I fell off my chair onto my knees and I planted my face onto the carpet very hard such that I had carpet burns on my forehead. And I lay there and I was like, God, I repent. God, I repent. I'm sorry for the way I've done that. I, I, I can see now that the way I have, have lived in that respect, is, well, I wasn't like repenting for my whole life, but this one thing, I can see God that I was wrong. And I don't want to be someone who's marinating, abiding, living in death. Who wants to be that? And as I was lying there, at the same time I got this picture, which is the corollary of this verse, or is like the obvious understanding that will go with it. And that is that he who loves abides in life. And suddenly I could see that as I choose to love the irritating people in my life, which there are very few, I'm probably the irritating person in their life, but as I choose to love the people around me, as I choose to find the people around me who are not necessarily as lovable as I would like them to be, and I choose to love them, that the, I will then be marinating, abiding, living in life, life will be seeping into my bones. I will be from the inside out just experiencing greater and greater life. At that moment, what I was doing is one of the most powerful activities of the kingdom. I was repenting. I was repenting. Repentance gets a bad rap in the church. People resist repentance. Why? Because often we feel like we want to save face with the people around us. We spend a lot of time building up an image, and we want people to think us as great as the image we project. And when we discover there's something inside of us or something going on in our life that isn't as great as the image we project, we're ashamed and we feel like, oh, I don't want, I don't want to admit that to people around me. But the beauty and the glory of the kingdom is that it's an upside-down kingdom. That we're strong when we're weak. That humble people are exalted. 
And so what that means is that when I come and realize there's something wrong and I, I fall on my face, you don't necessarily have to fall on your face like I did, but, but as I did fall on my face and say, God, I was wrong. I am sorry. I was wrong. Help me to change. That, that is the moment I am at my strongest. And one of the foundations we want to talk about today is the foundation of repentance, that a Christian life cannot be lived without continuous repentance. Continuous repentance. You never run out of repenting. I heard one author say, and I heard, think it was really great, he's, he said that when you stop repenting, you stop growing. And really, repentance is about me cho choosing growth and progress, me choosing to move forward into my destiny, me choosing to put the right foundations down so that God can build a beautiful and a magnificent tower in my life. We've looked at the scripture before, but we just looked at the first part. Two weeks back, we, we talked about who is God, and then we, last week we talked about the Lordship of Christ, and I used the scripture. It's from Acts 2, and when they had had this outpouring of the Spirit, and so many people had just come to find out what was going on, Peter stood up and he said this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And we talked about the Lordship of Jesus Christ as the primary foundation upon which we build all of our lives. Remember, you can't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. You either accept it or reject it. Jesus is Lord. is the foundation upon which we build all things. And then he went on and the Bible says that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter goes on and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We want to talk today about repentance. What does it mean to live a life of repentance? How do we have repentance as one of our foundations? Well, the New Testament word for repentance is the word metanoio. It's a Greek word and lots of vowels, vowels on the end there. Metanoio. There it is written for you in Greek. If you read Greek, you can, you can check that I'm telling the truth and that I'm pronouncing it correctly. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But there you go. <laughs> metanoio. And it means simply to repent, to change one's life based on complete change of attitude and thought concerning sin and righteousness. If I have to summarize it, it means to change the way you think. Right. Repentance means to change the way you think. It's a grace act. It comes as God brings revelation. As God showed me that scripture and brought revelation to me about how I had not been loving at times and how that was negatively influencing my life, that revelation of that brought grace for me to change. It brought a change in the way I thought and a consequent change in the way I'm living. So repentance means thinking the right thoughts. Thinking the right thoughts. So as we go through life, there are certain thought patterns and ways of looking at our surroundings that are worldly. They represent the attitudes of the world outside of God's kingdom. I've called these carnal thinking, these thoughts carnal thinking, and these bombard us all, all the time. We come into the kingdom with them. These are the underlying phrases or thoughts that govern the way the world operates. Yeah. And God is calling us to step out of that into kingdom thinking. 
And repentance is the process by we acknowledge, oh, I was thinking that way, that was wrong, I'm going to choose to think this way now by God's grace. The first kind of carnal thinking that I want to look at is, is how about it's all up to me. Oh my word, no one can do it as well as I can. When I give it to other people, it never works. It's all up to me. I just have to make it work, do it all, get it right. Perhaps you've thought like that. Don't raise your hand, but you can tick the boxes if you'd like to. The problem with this thinking is it will lead to burnout because it's not all up to you. Kingdom thinking is very different. Kingdom thinking goes like this. God has already made a way for me to succeed. The Bible says in Ephesians that he has prepared good works beforehand that you would walk into them. He's prepared good works for you. He has a path laid out for you. It's not all up to us. God has gone before and made a way. How about there's nothing I can do to change things? This is kind of the opposite of that. It's just I'm just a victim of my circumstances. There's nothing I can do. I just have to go with it. I've been dealt a hard hand and therefore I'm not, I can't get around much. There's nothing I can do to change things. The Bible is completely opposite to that. Kingdom thinking goes like this. When I obey God, extraordinary things happen. When I bathe God, extraordinary things happen. Think of that story in Luke 9 when Jesus wanted to feed the 5,000 or the disciples wanted to feed the 5,000 and all they had was five loaves and two fish. You remember that story? What did it feel like for those disciples when Jesus told them to get everyone to sit in groups of 50? And they got, went ahead and obeyed Jesus and got them to sit in groups of 50. Jesus blessed the food and then he handed Peter a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread, and he said, go and feed that group over there. Said to James, here's your tiny little speck of fish. Here's your tiny little speck of, of bread. You go and feed those thousand over there. You know, they could have just fallen down, weeping and saying, Jesus, there's not enough food. But instead, against all reason, Against all reason, they stepped out and took the bread and said, here you go, here you go. And as they went, as they went about obeying Jesus, an extraordinary thing happened. 5,000 men alone and women and children that were there were fed on five loaves and two fish. Extraordinary things happen when you obey Jesus. Extraordinary things happen when you obey Jesus. It is not true that nothing can happen to change things. How about a worldly thinking of, if I feel it, it must be true. Oh my word, I must have that ice cream. Oh my word, I must have that car. I feel it, therefore it must be true. Oh my word, my husband is, is not taking care of me well. Oh well, I feel it, it must be true. Not true. I don't feel that. It's so easy to be deceived, to think that just because I feel it, it is true. That's not how kingdom thinking goes. Kingdom thinking goes like this. What I feel is transformed by the truth of God's word. John 8, 31 and 32 says this, that if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God's word defines us and defines our feelings and transforms our feelings so that we feel, so that we feel what is right. Yeah. 
How about what I've been through determines who I become? Oh my word, I, I've been born into generations of poverty, therefore this poverty is just going to stalk me. I'm going to be, I'm going to be poor. I've been born into generations of dysfunction and I'm just, wow, it's just going to follow me. This is not kingdom thinking. What has gone before you does not define you. What has gone before you does not determine your future. What determines your future is the identity that God has spoken to you, His word to you, His idea of you, you cleaving to His truth and living out that. Genesis 39 tells the story of Joseph. Joseph got a dream from God, and in this dream, his brothers and sisters bowed down to him and he he understood from the dream that he was meant to lead his family. He went about it in a bad way, telling his family, no doubt about that. He made some mistakes, but he ended up shortly after that dream being being sold as a slave. He could have easily just bowed down and I'm going to just be the slave. But instead, as a slave, he was the best possible slave and before you know it, he was leading that household. Shortly after that, he was thrown in prison. And instead of just giving in, oh gosh, I'm in prison, there's nothing I can do about this. He became the best possible prisoner and before you know it, he was leading the prison. And then before you know it, he was leading the nation. What had happened is that the internal reality of who he was, who God had said he was, began to mold his circumstances. His circumstances didn't determine who he could become. And so kingdom thinking is that as I live out who God says I am, my environment conforms. How about this carnal thinking of I don't need anyone. I'm an island. I've been hurt so many times, so I'm just not going to trust. I'm not going to hope. I'm not going to reach out. I don't need anyone. I'm going to become the self-sufficient person. Avoid all heartache in the future. Kingdom thinking does not go like that. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how we are an interconnected body, everyone needing everyone else. And kingdom thinking goes like that. We are a community of equals who are better together. We're a community of equals who are better together. We need one another and you need your neighbor as much as your neighbor needs you. Thinking the right thoughts. Repentance also means trusting the right person. In Hebrews 6, it says, verse 1, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. In other words, repentance from dead works and faith in Jesus Christ is foundational. Yes. It's the basics. Repentance from dead works, what does that mean? It means repenting from, ah, oh, it's all up to me. I've just got to make this happen. What I do, how I do it creates my, my goodness and my reality. He was talking specifically to Hebrews there and he was talking to people who are obeying the law of God in order to create their own righteous, righteousness. Translated to us, it means people who are working very hard to make their life a success. Instead, he's saying, stop that. Stop that. Turn from dead works to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because it's not all up to you. Put your trust in the one who made you. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to work hard, but it certainly means that the motivation behind your work will change. It's turning from repentance from dead works towards faith in the Lord God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance means trusting the right person. 
a revivalist from a number of years back by the name of John Wimber, said this, faith is spelt R-I-S-K. What does that mean? It means that, that when I trust Jesus, I'm prepared to do what he says, no matter how risky that is to me. Because I trust him. I have faith in him. Faith for John Wimber was spelled R-I-S-K. I can, I can do like the disciples, take that little bit of bread and fish and give it to people. I can, I can step out the boat. I can make the sacrifices. Why? Because I have faith in a God who will be there to make the water hard under my feet. I have faith in a God who will multiply my resources. I have faith in a God who will do the impossible as I obey him. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I would like to add this, that faith is also spelled R-E-S-T. Hebrews 4, 3 and 11 talks about how when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it leads to an eternal rest. A rest that is so deep, a peace that is so deep in your heart that says to you, no matter what, everything's going to be okay. Faith leads you to rest, to peace, to a feeling of deep contentment and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. The thing your heart is longing for. Faith is spelt R-E-S-T. It's resting in the finished work of Jesus. It's resting in the, in the understanding that, that God has a way out of the situation. He has this way, a way in the situation. He has a way through the situation. He has a building that he's building in your life that is made of pure white marble. And he is building a foundation in your life will stand the test of the weight of what he's bringing. The Old Testament word for repentance is a bit different from the New Testament word for repentance. Instead of meaning to change the way you think, it means to turn from the way you are going 180 degrees so you're going in the other direction. I've shared this with you before, but if you are on the N1 heading south as fast as you can go, but you are planning to get to Durban. It's never going to happen. I don't care how well you drive. I don't care how beautiful your car is. You can upgrade your car. You can have mag wheels. You can have fantastic music. You can put your foot flat on that accelerator. You can overtake every other car. You're not getting to Durban because you're on the wrong road. You're on the wrong road. The only solution is to get off that road and get on the right road. Repentance means to turn and go the right way. Repentance means turn and getting, turning and getting onto the right path. There's a scripture in Ezekiel in the Old Testament that describes this concept so well. It says this, Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you. Each one according to his ways declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Repent and live. If the path you are going on is heading to a cliff, even more than you're on the wrong road to Durban, get off that road. Get off that road. It doesn't matter how much you decorate your path to destruction, it's still a path to destruction. And the Bible calls out to us continuously, continuously get off that road and get on the road to eternal life, to glory, to the presence of God. 
C.S. Lewis said this, and I have quoted it before, but I just feel like it is so profound and it paints such a glorious picture of what I'm trying to say that I could not resist quoting it again for you. But he said this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Please, if I could get on my knees and beg you, I would. Please don't be satisfied with what the world offers you. Please don't be satisfied with simply getting ahead in your career. Please don't be satisfied with simply um, getting the right girl or getting the right guy. Please don't be simply satisfied with the world, what the world dishes you up as success. That God, what God has for you is so much greater than that. And just because we can't perceive the fullness of what God wants for us, often we are content to settle with the mediocre nonsense of this world. How many women do I counsel stuck in abusive relationships? How many men does Andrew counsel stuck in, in abusive situations? And they stay there because that's all they know. And you, you talk to them. You say, there's so much more for you. You can have so much more. And yet they stay. Why? Because they can't perceive of something greater. I am saying to you today, there's something so much greater than you've ever imagined. There is a glory, a brilliance, a beauty, a loveliness, a wholeness that God wants to bring to your life and you get it by getting onto the right road and the right road is not always easy sometimes getting off the wrong road onto the right road takes courage it takes perseverance initially the new road is difficult you don't know it it's unfamiliar you haven't you work out how it works how it goes but it gets you to the right destination it's worth persevering through the awkwardness, the newness, the difficulty, the unexpectedness of it. Do not sacrifice the future God has for you for the comfort of the familiar. Do not sacrifice the future God has for you for the comfort of the familiar. If you're on the wrong road, if your life is as a whole on the wrong road, get off that road and get onto the Jesus road. If there are elements of your life that are on the wrong road, maybe your life in general is right, but there are elements that are wrong. There are relationships that are wrong. There are attitudes that are wrong. Do what the Bible exhorts. Receive the gift of grace that allows you to repent and say, I'm wrong and allows you to step off the wrong road onto the right road. Can we all practice this together? Say this, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Lord, help me to go the other way. Amen. You just practiced repentance right there. It wasn't hard. You weren't struck by lightning. You didn't fall into a hole. People still respect you and love you. You can do it every day. Do not settle for the comfort of the ordinary. Do not settle for the, the saving face with your neighbors in order to stay on a road that's leading you to destruction. 
resist that and step onto the right road. There is grace that God will take you there. There's grace from God to take you there, should I say. Amen. Putting it all together. Acts 3.19 says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. It just brings that same picture to my mind of just marinating in life, living in life, having life settle deep into your bones, having goodness and mercy and delight being a part of who you are, becoming a part of the very essence of who you are. Times of refreshing. Let's be a people who are humble, who are willing to acknowledge our weaknesses, our wrongdoings, our wrong understandings, and to turn from death to life. Amen. Repentance is a foundational understanding of Christianity without living as a people who are steeped in the ability to repent and receive God's grace to change. We will not see the fullness of what God wants to do, but we are of those people who are humble and willing to turn and change, and God is bringing the kind of victories that we've always loved and desired and wanted. Amen. Amen. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we've seen the great men and women go before us in your kingdom, and they've all been men and women of repentance, men and women with humility in their hearts who are willing to constantly hear, what are your thoughts? How do I align my thoughts with your thoughts, Lord? The kind of people who are putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in their own efforts, who are following you in obedience because they trust you, Lord God. People who are turning from the wrong road that they perceive themselves on and turning to you. Lord God, we want to be those people. We want to be people who repent quickly and easily. Lord God, where we have fought with you and and resisted your leading, Lord God, we repent of that. And we turn to you, Lord God. Give us grace. Give us grace to walk the right way. Give us grace to quickly and easily turn where necessary. To not feel shame when we, we realize we were wrong, Lord God, but to rather feel joy that we discovered the truth and we can have the truth now, Lord. I just resist right now all shame in every life. I'm going to ask you where you are. While I was talking, God was showing you things. I know who God is and I know that He was doing that. For each of you, He was showing you something specific in your life. I'm not going to make you stand up, raise your hand, do a dance, come up, say anything. I'm just going to ask you right there in your relationship with God, won't you just tell Him, I'm sorry, Lord, I was wrong. I can see now that I was wrong. Lord, help me to be different. And then just receive grace. What that means is it's a supernatural ability to do what you couldn't do before. Just open up your heart to His presence and say, God, I I need you to help me to be different, to think differently, to trust you more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.